Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 127 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another fascinating interview episode where we venture into the strange and wonderful world of cocktails, and in this case, vintage glassware, to uncover the trends and forces that shaped our favorite drinks. This time around, our guest is Victoria Ferguson, owner-operator of The Hour, which is a vintage glassware store located across the river from Washington, D.C. in beautiful Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. But to be fair, calling The Hour a glassware store really doesn't do it justice. This shop is a beautifully and eclectically curated collection of glassware that spans an entire century, and Victoria has spent many years sourcing these beautiful pieces from around the world. First time I walked in, I was overwhelmed by the sheer quantity and diversity of the pieces on display. So, as you can imagine, we have a lot of fun digging into some of our favorites during this interview. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's do as we always do and give you the chance to make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Gimlet, a simple gin cocktail that has a long, complicated history. I chose it because the changes in its recipe and ingredients mirror some of the changes and trends we discuss in this episode with Victoria. To make the gimlet these days, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute, you'll need two ounces of gin, three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice, and three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. This is your classic sour ratio, where you've got two ounces of spirit, and then three quarters of an ounce each of your acid and your sweetener. Combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, shake for about 20 seconds, and then strain into your favorite whimsical stemmed cocktail glass. I find that this drink often benefits from a splash of color, so feel free to garnish with a lime wheel or a nice slender lime twist. Now, the recipe I list here is the contemporary recipe for the Gimlet, the one you'll get at most cocktail bars these days. But the drink is said to have its origins in the British Navy, and if there's one thing we know about those dudes, it's that they were always looking to find ways to stave off scurvy. As the stories go, Rose's Lime Cordial, the precursor to the Rose's Lime Juice you see on the shelves at all the major grocery stores, was invented sometime during the mid-1800s as a way to preserve lime juice for stable transport and shelf life. And the name of the drink, the Gimlet, is often attributed to Naval Medical Officer Desmond Gimlet, who found a way to combine this new and innovative product at the time with gin to make the vitamin C vehicle more palatable. One important thing to note is that the Rose's Lime Juice we see today is a far cry from what it was during the 1800s. It's got high fructose corn syrup and a bunch of other preservatives in it, so it's not an accurate historical substitution for the original Rose's Lime Cordial. So if I were you and I wanted to make a gimlet, I'd stick with the classic lime and simple syrup sour ratio listed in the recipe 
I just offered. So, now that you're armed with a drink and well-cautioned about the advantages and pitfalls to choosing certain ingredients, let's turn our attention back to glassware. Some of the topics I discuss with Victoria Ferguson of The Hour during this interview include how Victoria used her globetrotting career in international finance to build a colorful and diverse collection of vintage glassware and bar tools, the various changes in glassware size and shape as we move from the golden age of the cocktail to prohibition and beyond, why cocktail pitchers and rooster motifs really need to make a comeback, how history and culture had a direct effect on the design and materials used to make different glasses and tools, including camouflaged cocktail shakers, gun trigger mechanisms on jiggers, and even hand-painted cocktail glasses, the origins and implications of the three-martini lunch, why Victoria is branching out to create her own line of glassware and bar tools called the Modern Home Bar, which famous artists and thinkers she would invite to her ultimate historical cocktail hour, and much, much more. This was a super fun interview to record, and as you'll hear, we took the opportunity to shoot a ton of video, which will roll out on social media and YouTube in association with this episode, so that you can actually see the glassware and tools we chat about. If you're in the D.C. area, you can visit the Hour Shop in Old Town, Alexandria to view the full collection of vintage cocktail tools and glassware, and you can browse and purchase Victoria's new collection by visiting themodernhomebar.com, which includes the items we talk about in this podcast, as well as many other tools and beautiful designs. I should note that the holidays are right around the corner, duh. We all know they're coming, and I needn't remind you that glassware, whether vintage or modern, makes a fabulous holiday gift, so there's no need to be one of those last-minute shoppers. With that, I hope you enjoy this fascinating, immersive interview with glassware expert and designer Victoria Ferguson. Victoria, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Eric. So glad to be here. So can so we... So glad you're here, in fact. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Also, for those of you in video land, how about this place, right? Can you believe how beautiful it is, all this beautiful glassware? Um, before we start talking about the glassware, can you just introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little background on who you are and how you came to build this collection? I'm Victoria Ferguson. I am the owner of this wonderful establishment called The Hour. We've been here for about 10 years in Old Town Alexandria, Virginia and have also recently launched a new product line called the Modern Home Bar. Yes, it's beautiful. Uh, thank you. It's all vintage inspired, but we'll talk about that later. And I've also written a couple books that are about the DC and Old Town cocktail scene over yes. the course of these last 10 years. So came by way of this beautiful collection here, um, kind of been collecting for almost, I hate to age myself here, but 30 years. Started when I was in grad school it's a good time um, to start drinking. It That's... is. Well, it's a good time to start drinking. Uh, <laughs> and started because, like most grad students, I was dirt poor and found that one of the little luxuries of life I could, could afford was kind of going to antique shops and flea markets and perusing the aisles and picking up all sorts of little interesting objects along the way. And I was always gravitating to glass. Mm -hmm. I found, uh, really started with uranium glass which I don't know if you know it or not. I, I'm f familiar with it. I know it's green. It's green. It looks like the old Vaseline glass. 
and well, that's what it was really called, but it had bits of uranium in it. So when you find a piece of it and you hold a black light up to the glass, it glows like this spooky green color. And I, I really started collecting candlesticks uh-huh. and uh, had this, I've amassed quite a collection of candlesticks. And when I would start looking around and saw that there were these beautiful cocktail glasses, most of them were coupes with just exquisite stemware and just in interesting shapes. And after I got collecting the coupes, I then looked around and there were the pretty pink ones and there were pretty pale blue ones. And there were, my love of glassware just exploded from there. Yeah. And the, the glassware, uh, as a, no, a normal course of business, I then kind of started collecting all the accoutrements that went with the glassware. So I discovered the world of cocktail shakers and cocktail shakers led to cool bar tools. And the more I learned and the more I discovered, the more interesting I thought the whole world of vintage barware and glassware was. Although I kind of took a detour to get to where I am now because I got my MBA in international finance. Ah. So my first career was traveling to developing countries and putting together project finance deals. And I found that when I traveled, I would go off the wayside and go find the markets and constantly was picking up little pieces of glass along the way. So I discovered that there was not only a world of glassware here in the States, but there were, that glass was something that was universal and um, told the stories of where, where it was made. So that's yeah. kind of where it all started. Yeah, even as you were just describing that, it, mm-hmm. it occurred to me that, yes, glass is typically clear, but it, it comes in all these different colors and hues and there's and has it, these properties to and it. And has for centuries. I mean, if you, if you go to Murano, Italy, which is one of the, the capitals of glassware and kind of old style glass making and glass blowing, it was all colorful. Yeah. It still is. So it's fascinating medium. And for me, it's, it's not only visually pretty, it, it enhances anything that goes into it. So whether it's a vase or whether it's a cocktail glass, everything just looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it's so fascinating, too. When I think of glassware, I think of a glass being able to transport you back in time to the place and the, I guess, the culture where it was used. And I know that during this conversation, we'll be able to dig into maybe some of the the larger trends and forces that are responsible for the different changes in glassware over the years here in the in the 20th century. But I guess my next question is like, how did you decide to set up this shop and display this glassware in a way that kind of makes sense to people? Because you know, even in this room, we have. We've got the green section, we've got the red section, we've got the blue section. We have these different methods of organizing this very eclectic uh, collection. Uh, how, how do you think about that from the perspective of somebody who walks in off the street and is just suddenly faced with this massive collection and needs to make sense of yes, it? Yes, well, you can imagine, and it's taken 10 years to kind of develop where we are right now, but it is overwhelming because we have collected over the years so much glass that folks come in and they're either just like totally in awe or they're totally overwhelmed. So we, the way I approach this and how I really got into this is how would I want to style glassware in my own home? And you know, some people gravitate to blues and it made sense to make a blue section. And some, some are into greens and some are into golds and some are into the mercury look. Some just want clear coupes. So downstairs we have a, a clear room with just, you know, crystal and coupes and decanters. And, and it really is, we try and approach it so that it seems more approachable for anybody looking to find something for their home 
that they really there's something here in the shop for everyone and it could be whimsical it could be you know the pink elephants it could be it could be motifs it can be modern atomic styles it can be solid colored glassware but we we approach it as what looks looks visually correct Mm -hmm. but also not too matchy-matchy right yeah and i think this place the hour is like to me like if someone were to say the word eclectic it's like one of the first places that comes into my head because i mean i could i could spend hours in here just just going through and yet it doesn't feel cluttered in any way it doesn't like i've been to these antique shops where you walk in and you know like the antique barn or the antique mm-hmm, mall kind mm-hmm. of approach and, and there is i think a charm to that because right there's it's the charm of the hunt yeah it's that's the where i love to go finding my things right you're picking yep. through the the heap of things but it but it is it, it feels cluttered and this this it almost feels like you are in someone's home yes and that was the whole idea was that when um, I bought the building and started this whole concept I really wanted it, people to feel like they were entering your, your own home mm-hmm. and and I really wanted to keep it singular singularly focused on the cocktail hour yeah that I wasn't gonna stray too far from it and that I really would just develop this expertise in vintage bar and glassware. Yeah. And kind of make it approachable to, to those who are new and kind of entering into the cocktail world, to bartenders. Bartenders love to come in here and find what goodies I, I, I hold. Uh-huh. To people who grew up with these things and remember, reminisce about them and, you know, remember their parents, you know, having cocktails or having a wet bar or, you know, the stories that come in here follow the stories of the glassware. Right. And it's just, it's a wonderful place to, to do storytelling just because there are so many things that, that speak to, something speaks to everyone in this, in this building. Right. Yeah. Maddie, off camera, shout out to Maddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie and I were talking while we were filming some B-roll before this about those ice crushers in the corner over there. Oh, yes. And how those are just, they're actually in really, really high demand these days because. Well, and they work. Yeah, they don't break. Yeah, they, they work and they're great design. And, you know, that's that's the thing about good barware and good glassware is it endures the test of time. And especially when it comes to vintage, mm-hmm. a lot of the, well, we'll talk about more about this, but the styles and the shapes have changed over the years. And you can really look at a glass and almost kind of date it from just by looking at it kind of when it was made. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what we should talk about next. So I'm Eric Koslick, Modern Bar Cart CEO, sitting here in the hour speaking with Victoria Ferguson. We're going to do a quick reset and then come back and talk about some beautiful glassware pieces. Stay tuned. And we're back here at the hour with Victoria Ferguson. And Victoria, you're about to take us through kind of a little history lesson. A little time using, warp here. Yeah. Exactly. Using these beautiful vintage pieces from your shop. Yeah, these are these are kind of indicative of kind of what, what happened during the 20th century with barware and glassware and the things that, I, I, that speak to me, but because they tell a story. And the first thing that I probably want to start with is this gorgeous Prohibition-era cocktail shaker. And I often have a lot of people come into the store, this big, big tall beauty, and ask me, well, what is that? And I'm like, that's a cocktail shaker. And they're like, doesn't look like a cocktail shaker. And I immediately say, well, that's the whole point, because it, uh, <laughs> it was made during Prohibition. And in Prohibition, you did not want to announce that you were drinking in the house. And so they often made their cocktail shakers to look like teapots. 
Wow. Or coffee pots. And so they're, they're wonderful because they all, originally they were made, a lot of the real beauties are, are sterling and silver plate. For those of us who, you know, were not rich enough to have right. the staff to support all the polishing that, that would take place, chrome was also a common feature that was uh, very popular during the, the 1920s. And since we're almost 100 years out, yeah. you know, basically the, the, the ingredients would be poured into the top. And as you can see, there's a built-in strainer where the uh, nozzle comes out. All right, just like a, and, like a permanent cobbler yeah. strainer type deal. And after deal. you would shake, you would... You would truly unscrew the top cap and pour through the spout. Right. Just like you'd pour coffee, but it wasn't coffee. Right. And the, the, one of the things that I love about this picture in particular is it tells the story about Prohibition, but it also tells another story, and that was during the late 20s was when the Empire State Building was being erected, and the, the lot of most of the pictures that you find that are early 20s are about two-thirds the size of this one. Yeah. And with the Empire State Building being erected, a lot of the barware followed suit. So you started having elongated pitchers and shakers, and it really kind of dates a piece, if you're lucky enough to find one, kind of when, when the product was made. Often they'll be marked on the bottom of, of who made them. Some are not, because there were, we were prolific in producing glassware and barware throughout the 20th century. So this is a great representation of what was happening during Prohibition. Yeah, and what is so. this? This has to be like two liters. Oh, easily. Yeah. yeah. This is this is party size. Yeah, it this is. This is this is uh, this is Gatsby. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he might have a sterling one, but you know, for those wanting to uh, throw their own parties at home, this was this was a beauty, and still yeah. is, and still is usable, and is such a treat in a conversation piece. If somebody had this in their home bar, that's that's the whole point: is kind of bringing these stories back, and making them fresh, and kind of creating your own stories with them. Right, and I could totally. The, the cool thing is, I mean. If you put this next to a regular shaker and you put a piece, one of those two inch large ice cubes next to a, a regular ice cube, it's about the scale kind of matches. So if I were going to shake up a drink in this, I would just use big ice. Yeah. Yeah. And and, I, and, and as you know, the nice thing about metals is it really retains the, the, the cold temperature. Right. So and they get frosty looking and they're just they're fabulous to use and, and pour with. Absolutely. So what other pieces do we have on this? So table? another kind of fun one that I love to talk about is a piece that was designed by Napier. Napier is a um, jewelry company, costume jewelry company. And during Prohibition also, you know, was the age of Art Deco and 1925 World Expo in Paris, kind of right, was where right. it all came out. And Napier had a bunch of designers who made beautiful bar pieces. It was also the, the kind of the machine age was going on. And a lot of the pieces that Napier designed were mechanical in nature. Ah. So their designers kind of happened because of World War II and kind of after, between World War I and World War II, during the war efforts, Napier would stop their jewelry production and would join the war effort and start making bullet casings and other things with using metals. In the 20s, they had all these wonderful designers and they were like, you know, prohibition's going on. We're gonna also be making some really cool products in yeah. addition to the bullet casings. So they created a bunch of very interesting and kind of bar interesting bar tools, but conversation pieces. So this one, it's a great step jigger. And if you notice, it has this, this handle right. and this funky base. Yeah. And when you pour pour your spirits to measure, you would you would place it either over the shaker or over the glass, and when you press the handle, oh no kidding. The the spirit would pour out the bottom. 
So it was a whole idea. They're called press and release shakers or press and release jiggers. And they were this simple mechanical piece that served a function, wow. were incredibly stylish. They date back to the machine age, kind of the, the end of the industrial age, or the beginning of the industrial age. And yet they're totally usable and totally fun to, fun wow. to work with. Um, and they're, they're getting harder and harder to find. Napier did a couple of, of pieces that are just very um, whimsical and but they all had a, a design element to them that are just fabulous to collect. It's so simple and elegant. And I'll be honest, it does look, you know, you, you say that there's this connection with like the, the munitions. It, it feels a little bit like a trigger mechanism. Yeah. No, they, they were, yeah, you can, it's, they're, they, they uh, again, it's to me a cocktail, the whole thing about the cocktail hours, it should be a, an all-encompassing sensory, sensory experience. It really should, you know, you should be able to hear, hear the ice shake, hear the handle being released, yeah. you know, it feel also, how it feels in your hand. Yeah, it, it doesn't, you know, like it, it's got a handle and yet when you try and hold this thing like a traditional handle, it doesn't feel right no, at all. No, 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 it's meant to be held like a jigger yeah. that you just, you press press the handle in it also has a bit of like a cuckoo clock like sensibility with it of like it's just a simple on or off like Mm -hmm. just yep there's two modes and wow i've never seen one of these before i'm obsessed instant (laughs) instant obsession they they did a similar one and instead of just being a jigger they put a i have one downstairs they put a, a spoon at the bottom of it so when you press the handle the the spirit would run down the spoon and you would then stir if you were if you were stirring instead of shaking so oh, you could that use is... that so so anyway there were there are these wonderful timepieces that happened in the 20s and 30s in barware that are just wonderful to have in the house even today and they yeah. te- they stand the test of time they do and one of the things that occurs to me is as i'm thinking about like trends in contemporary glassware let's be fair i'm not an expert but i do peruse a lot of glassware it, mm-hmm. it, it is something i'm interested in if i don't know a lot about it there's delight built into this in a way that I don't see delight being taken into account as much these days. That's exactly right. I said everything, and that again goes back to the whole, the whole story of how the not only did the 20th century was known for its changes for the cocktail, but it also changed glassware and barware. And I'll talk about that in just a second. I'm going to move on to our third piece I'm going to yeah. show you, and that is this simple and very exquisite little cocktail glass with a hand-painted rooster on it. And the the rooster was one of the motifs that was very popular during the early part of the 20th century. And it was the cocktail for the cocktail hour. Right. Uh, and you would well, you often find them depicted on pieces. I often have this, this uh, glass as a probably about a three ounce, maybe three and a half ounce glass, small V-shaped with a foot, for those of you who uh, can't see it. And I have a lot of folks that come in the store and say, you know, what are you going to serve in that? It's, it's kind of small. And again, I can, tell, I can tell by looking at a glass and by shapes like this that these were made pre, pretty much pre-World War II. Mm-hmm. And they are, they are made doing something called the Rules of Three. And the Rules of Three basically uh, say that cocktail glasses were typically about three-ounce measures. They typically contain cocktail ingredients were about three ingredients. And the whole idea is you would drink them in three sips because you didn't want your cocktail getting warm. 
and we didn't have huge refrigerators and ice being made all the time. And the whole oh, idea was that yeah. you would, you would, as a hostess or host, you would be refreshing your 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 guests' drinks and conversing with them as you were doing so. But it's also how interesting enough the um, three martini lunch came about, because the three martinis were this small size scale. Right. And they, you know, they're not the scale that we've that we kind of became accustomed to towards the latter part of the 20th century, but they were really small-scale glasses. Right, and one of the things that you'll see if, if you come to visit the hour is that there's a lot of pitchers here as well, and, and pitchers are something that has, at least as far as I've seen, really not made a comeback whatsoever it's, in the bar scene. It's baffling to me because they're, again, they are one of the main bar tools for any home bar, right. and I often have folks coming in and saying, you know, where's that mixing glass? And I'm like, what, you, like the Japanese mix, mixing glass? The that, that's, that's, yeah. a, that's a new thing. That is that is something that we developed recently. Um, the Japanese had did have mixing glasses, um, but really throughout the mid-century, you know, they were these tall, slender pitchers, and they were called cocktail pitchers, or mixing, originally they were mixing tins. They were, right. you know, metal in nature. And then they became, you know, uh, cocktail pitchers, and they were often referred to as martini pitchers because that's what often they, the cocktail that was being made. But they really, you know, folks come in and they don't they don't understand that these were the original cocktail pitchers. Yeah, my uh, my co-founder Ethan actually just got me a housewarming gift. It's a, just a beautiful pitcher and came with. It's probably I imagine the glasses are about the same volume as this one, mm-hmm. um, but they they just don't have the base. They're they're more they're more the shape of the, of this next glass that we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about. But you can tell that it's a set when there's. I imagine there were six of them originally. He probably got it because there's <laughs> only five of them now, and that's okay. I that's mean, okay. I, I have a small condo. <laughs> we got more than five people. We have a problem. But yeah, that's I, I I'm excited. I'm already lining up a, a time to use it so I can make a big pitcher of martinis because and that's that's kind of what happened after after World War II glassware changed again glassware changed and it kind of followed what was going on post World War II really the industrial age was it was in full bloom and a lot of the glassware that was made you know during the prohibition times they were they were handmade or they were much more detail and many more styles after World War II, when home entertaining became more of the norm than going to the taverns like people did before World War, before the wars. Before TV. Yeah, before TV, and you know that's where you went for your politics. That's where you went for to socialize. That's where you went for your gossip. Well, after after World War II, we we wanted you know we wanted to entertain within our homes, and the industrial age kind of came about, and so that's where the rocks glass, as we know, but or the double old fashioned glass or the, the bucket the, glass, the bucket glass, the Collins glass, the highball glass, they became these standard glass shapes. And the norm back then was then you had designers who would come and embellish the designs so that everybody didn't have the same look in their house. So a lot of what I collect is mid-century, and I love it because the size is more the size that today's cocktail aficionados like to serve out of, but they still have style. So they may not have that shape, but they have style because they've been stylized with patterns and with motifs, and they often had 22 karat gold on them. They uh-huh. had sterling silver bands like Dorothy Thorpe created. And that's dishwasher um, safe, right? No, it's not. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the one of the things that I've learned over the years of collecting is that you know, one, you don't ever want to put it in the dishwasher. And I was fortunate when I started collecting because people didn't know what they were getting rid of at their the estate sales and, right. and the antique malls. They just wanted to get rid of this stuff. 
and they really are works of art. They're often signed. This glass here is signed by George Briard, who was a Russian who studied at the uh, Chicago Art Institute. I mean, they were real artists who, yeah. who, who, who created these designs, and they were handmade with 22, as I said, really you know, precious metals that no one's doing anymore. The things that you buy today are kind of overlays, and they're not as exquisite as what, what you can still sometimes find in the marketplace as long as it hasn't gone through the dishwasher. Right, right. Yeah, essentially we're working, you know, if you see a pattern today, we're working with the, unless it's some sort of like etched glass, what we're working with is some kind of version of like essentially glass screen printing. Mm-hmm, that's correct. So these are fascinating examples. I love to to be able to like put a put a, a face to, to the name of these different eras in, in uh, U.S. drinking culture during the 20th century. I guess to wrap up this portion of the interview, what do you see today? We, we've been referencing a few trends, but like, wh- what do you see with new glassware and new styles coming out? Are there any trends that, that you can identify that are either you know interesting or maybe a little troubling? Well, what I what I see is you know after during the 1970s again stepping one step back quickly, that's when most of our glassware was made off- offshore. Right. You know, American companies couldn't compete with the price, and it drove. We had hundreds of glass companies here in the states. We now have three, and that's all that that wow. remain. And all of the steel molds that were used to make the beautiful shaped glassware, American companies melted the steel molds to to pay bills. Those molds don't exist. Wow. So one of the things about collecting is is you know you see something you like, buy it because it's never going to be made again. And that's one thing that I tell folks who come in or are asking me about collecting. Buy things you like. Buy things that feel good in your hand because you'll never see them again. And the trends that I see is, is the reason I started my new business, and it was something I've been hoping and planning and dreaming about doing for quite a while, was to kind of bring back this mid-century design. I have, over the years, gotten frustrated. Um, I originally started the hour thinking that I would have a store that would be 80% things I would find at market that I loved and 20% would be my vintage collection. And when I went to market and kept going to market, I kept seeing the same product time and time and time again. Yeah. And to me, you know, everybody's home is different and to have common looking glassware, it doesn't express someone's style. It just, it, it hadn't, didn't appeal to me. So that's why the store ended up becoming more vintage than modern. I finally, after all these years, found an American company who was using a new technology that prints, instead of screen printing, they digitally print directly on the glass. Oh, wow. And it's a, it's a brand new process, but the whole idea is, you know, a lot of the decals and screen printing will fade over time. Totally. It chips off, and, you know, it's it's the patterns have not been, you know, as visually appealing to me as they were during the mid-century. So I created a, a new line of glassware kind of picking up where the mid-century took off, but using this new technology that, that truly prints directly on the glass and is dishwasher safe and chip resistant and has all the bells and whistles, and best of all, is made in America. Beautiful. So trying to bring it back home. Well, we'll be right back. And when we come back, we're gonna actually take a look at a couple of those pieces from your new collection. Great. Stay tuned. And we're back here at the hour with Victoria Ferguson. And Victoria, you're going to take us through a couple pieces from your brand new line, the Modern Home Bar. Yes. So this is what I'm very excited about. My my dreams coming true. As as I mentioned earlier, this is one of my first prototypes of 
of what I'm starting to do for my own new line here of the Modern Home Bar. It is a pattern that some of the patterns I'm looking at are taken from the past. One of the things that I really like about vintage designs is I call them peekaboos, where the pattern doesn't completely encompass the glass. It's not a band, but it's something that you can kind of kind of see the see what you're drinking through the design. And this is a pattern that I found uh, in Philadelphia, believe it or not. Um, I believe it. Yeah. The Second, I think it's the second bank. The United States Bank is located on Independence Mall. And I was passing through there years ago and just stopped to admire this beautiful gate. And yeah. I thought, wow, that would make a great design on a glass. So I came out with this pattern. And it's it again, it's printed directly. It's a single color print, although I've got some designs that are multicolor. But I just love this glass because I don't care if you're sipping a, sipping a straight scotch or if you're making a Manhattan or if you're deciding to do a, even a margarita. I mean, it's just the whole thing. It, it appeals to so many people on so many levels. But it takes a standard blank glass that you would normally buy and does something a little bit special with it. Yeah, I love the the, like, the wrought iron gate motif. It, it just feels very classy. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's kind of that's that's kind of the style that I want. Something that is simple, has a sense sense of style to it. It has a classic element, some sort of classic component to it, but also can can start a conversation. Right, and there's even so even though it is black, and even though it is like it is it is a metal fence or gate, there there's still something domestic about it. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and it's very as I said, the fact that you can you know it's kind of it, it's black, but it has some some feminine touches to it. Right, it's it's um, elegant, and it just uh, and I and I, again I like that it doesn't go all the way up the glass. But it just makes its own statement. Yeah, for and sure. And whether, and if it's even if it's just sitting on your home bar or, you know, on a tray that you just have set out, it it has it also has something which is unusual. You're feeling it in your hand. It has a little bit of a textural component too. That's what I was so curious which is about. Something that is with this new technology and allows for an interesting feel to the glass. It certainly does, and. You even have a bit of a, it seems like a maker's yes, mark that's, on there. Yes, that's our logo. It's, <laughs> since we're the Modern Home Bar, we have two uh, cocktail glasses with a little house kind of nested between. Oh, that. You, and you can see my little, my VV Victoria Ferguson. Uh, VV with the glasses, uh, you know, it's, the it's martini kind of, The logo glasses. does it all. So It does. You're like, uh, you're like FedEx with that arrow. <laughs> that's right. Right? <laughs> that's our little stamp, and we are, we are proud uh, of it and kind of put it everywhere and hoping that, that it will become a recognizable brand. Oh. We just are uh, getting it out. We just launched, uh, really launched this summer, and we've, uh, we've, uh, I think we're in over 20 states at this point, and kind wow. of making our way. So that is exciting. We're very excited. And this one is you're one of the first to even see this new product. This is something that, uh, again, I took an old idea. It looks like there's a trick built into this. Um, there's not a trick, there's but not. it is a simple cocktail shaker. Oh, okay. I, I was expecting um, this to come off based on what happened earlier yeah, with the well, jigger. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's interesting because this is something similar to a piece that Napier, the same designer, did back in the 20s that I brought forward for the Modern Home Bar. And it too is I a wasn't co- wrong. You're, wrong. you're not wrong. Right. It is a cocktail shaker. But because the conical shape, it fits uh, anyone's hand. It, it'll fit a man's hand, a woman's hand, whatever. A child's you know, hand? Well, I, not no children, but you know. Um, and they can it's make the drinks, just, they just can't drink them. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but the cup can also, or the top can also act as a cup. 
but it's got a built-in strainer. So one of the things that I like about a lot of bar tools is that they're multifunctional. Oh yeah. So I have a vintage piece of Napier conical shaker that kind of has the same idea where you, you make your drink and as you're pouring, you don't necessarily have to have a Hawthorne strainer, right. but it really catches the ice and it's just yet it's a simple elegant shape and it's something new to the market yeah absolutely so that's that's kind of the idea is i'm trying to make things that have a bit of history to them there are quite a few pieces that i've taken to manufacturers that quite frankly no one knows how to make so i'm yeah. I, uh, so i'm kind of taking taking old ideas and trying to give them my own twist and i'm hoping to bring more and more products like this to the market that is so exciting can you just go through kind of quickly we we have some video footage that we'll put in with the video of this interview but can you describe some of the other designs or products that are uh, associated with this collection i have a, a cocktail pitcher another a new pitcher a mixing tin coming out that is kind of modeled after a danish modern image and it is a little bird that again has a kind of a half top to his forehead and you you add your ingredients and after you stir you pour through his beak which are in the shape of a lip i love it so they're kind of again fun different yeah. and the stirring the, the the stir spoon that i made to go with it has a spiral tail so it kind of looks like the bird's tail but it also is a muddler ah. so i have taken a simple spoon and bent the end of it so that you can muddle as well as stir and again, it's the idea of multifunctional bar tools so sure. that you don't have to have that many things at your home bar. Right, right. So those are a couple of pieces. And then I've got more designs coming out that are using this digital print. And I've got also an etched series, which most of my, the glassware is all made in America. The um, barware I'm having made in uh, North America. And then I've got etched glassware that is made in Eastern Europe. Nice. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to keep it as close to home as possible. But all of them have kind of mod designs, and they're just they're they're wonderful and fun to drink out of. Beautiful and affordable, and also more importantly, they're made for today's living. They, you know, most things can go in the dishwasher, with the exception of the barware. For sure, for so. sure. Well, we will make sure that on the show notes page for this episode over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast, we have a ton of pictures and video, and we make sure we have a place for folks to go and actually purchase those as well. Yes, that's right. We are here at the hour with Victoria Ferguson, and we'll be right back with some lightning round questions. Ah. Stay tuned. All right, we're back. Victoria, lightning round time. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, first question. Yeah. What's your favorite cocktail? If you don't have a favorite of all time, what's something maybe you've been playing around with more recently? Hands down, well, I'm, this one's easy for me, it's a Manhattan. Okay. Okay. It's it's a it's a long long not not so long story. Born in Milwaukee, come from a family of folks who love their Manhattans. Brandy Manhattans are the thing in Milwaukee. Have huh. been for as long as I can remember, Indeed at least. They are. My uh, great grandparents owned a tavern, and you know, Brandy Manhattans were the thing when I was growing up. And the the thing that I loved the most as a kid is, if we were really good, we got the cherry. You know our parents would like I would fight with my brothers and sister, my brother and sister to get that last cherry but you know grew up just having a fond memory of Manhattans then went to Kentucky which is where I had my formative years kind of grew up in Lexington pre, okay. pre-bourbon trail yeah but you know I learned 
later on to really like my bourbon and boy a bourbon manhattan was it for the longest time until lately with all the wonderful ryes that are now coming out I can say that my palate has changed again to now being a rye Manhattan, but I love a good Manhattan. That is, that's a, such a cool, like, historically accurate, like, mirrored story of the evolution of the Manhattan. Kind of, well, kind of. <laughs> well, and the evolution of cocktails, yeah. too. You know, cocktails have come a long way, but they all start with that classic one. Yeah. And they all, you know, and for me, everybody's favorite should be something that sparks a memory and brings them joy, and that, that, that's, that's my story. Right. Beautiful. Uh, if you were a cocktail ingredient, what would you be and why? That one is also pretty easy for me. I'm, I would be gin. I just think gin is a universally fabulous spirit. Oh, yeah. It is complex. It is flavorful. You can take it so many ways. Liked by most. And I think that's kind of how I am. Yeah, liked by most people with good taste, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> and think, classic. And I think the gin space, too, just like, just kind of like the the space that we're in right now at the hour, it's like, it, it's hard to overcrowd the gin space. There's always room for a new gin. Oh, yeah. Because there's there's so, I mean, yes, are there rules? Of course there are rules. But, sure. But there's very few rules that make it hard to branch out to a different style and that's what I that's what I love about gin because every time you make the same cocktail but swap in a different gin you learn something new about that gin yes. and you learn something new about that cocktail and it's gin is to me is very much a relational spirit it is and it also relates to where it's made i mean i love the craft spirits that are being made these days because they're using local ingredients and they they again tell that story and yeah. they do they change completely change the profile of a drink depending on what gin you use yeah Awesome gin. I, I'm a gin guy. Oh, good. And DC is a, a gin city. Yeah, so, right? we yeah got some good gin. We do. If you could have a cocktail with anyone, past or present, who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Just kind of paint us a picture. Okay, my picture. Come on, you're talking to me. I, I'm a, I'm a cocktail hostess. <laughs> I can't pick one, so I'm I'm gonna kind of do kind of like the Washingtonian puts their guest list together. I'm going to tell you about my my perfect cocktail hour and okay. who I would invite. The perfect hour. First of all, yeah, the, the golden hour, the cocktail hour, and where I would have it. I'm going to start with the location. Okay. Location would be the King Cole Bar at the St. Regis in New York. Not sure if you've ever been there. I have not. It is a treat. It, it truly is a treat. It is a classic bar. St. Regis has been around since the early, probably 1900s. And the King Cole Bar is has been a staple kind of a luxury bar but it's like cocktails and especially the home bar you know you want something that makes you smile and kind of you can you can have a good time and have a good memory right there's a big mural behind the bar of nat king cole who was a jolly old soul and it's a famous mural i can't remember who made it but it encompasses the entire length of the bar and the bar is just makes great classic drinks has always doesn't matter when you go who your bartender is bar. it's a classic new york bar it's a it's a uh, it's a great atmosphere unbelievable service and it, it's just a memorable place and it's a truly a treat to go and have a drink there and i would invite these are the people i would invite to my my little soiree here that i'm getting together you're rolling up your sleeves <laughs> as we speak i'm a little i'm a little scared first of all the uh, they're all over the map um i'd invite ian fleming okay okay because i mean 
this is the guy who created James Bond. I am such a fan of international espionage, movies, books, you name it. And to me, he is the epitome. I love, you know, he, he started writing, I think, in the, in the early 50s. And I would love to have him at this cocktail party, talk to him about how he incorporated cocktails into his novels, and really ask him why he shakes that martini. I mean, Bond should not be shaking a martini. As much as I love those books, you got to stir a martini. So that's, the, that's a question I would have for him. And I, I would love for him to, in addition to tell me that answer, I would love for him to decide to make, to create a cocktail in my name that would live on in infamy. All right. I mean, he's, he made the Vesper. So for who, who wouldn't want to be a Bond girl with a with the name of a cocktail, you know, in a novel? I mean, to me that that would that's a good pick. It's one of my favorite moments in cinema. Is, yeah. Is, I mean, the the Daniel Craig portrayal. Oh of that, my I gosh! Think is just chills. Isn't it great? Chills. I always I can't I can't watch that unless I have a Vesper in yeah. my hand. <laughs> Changing gears, I'd probably invite Ella Fitzgerald because you know. Her songbooks were, to me, they are the epitome of what good cocktail music is. And I would just love to have met her and to talk to her about her style and her inspiration. And from there, I would probably move over to one of the most intriguing characters to me in recent times, and that is Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love, I just love watching his CNN to this day. I, I watch those shows and his travels and his, his ability to relate and his uncanny way of just trying anything. I just, that spirit of adventure would be just wonderful to include in this, this cocktail hour. I would include President Obama. I just, uh, I would love to chat with him to see how his, his take on kind of getting to, to being a, a president with no issues <laughs> right. and to being a kind, uh, kinder political society that I think we, I, I personally hope we get back to. It's, it's like a weird sort of nostalgia, right? Like it was just a couple of years ago and you're like, I yearn for a time when people were nice to each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, next would be Kate Spade. Okay. And this is kind of an interesting one, and it gets back to, I, I love another podcast um, that's called How I Built This. Uh-huh, yeah. And because I'm an entrepreneur at heart, and I listened to a podcast that she had done about how she built her business and her brand, and kind of being a humble girl from the Midwest, which is kind of what where I started, and how she kind of created a, an industry. And I said when I started years ago that I wanted to be the Kate Spade of barware and glassware. So she's kind of a, a personal idol. Right, so. and the design, like the just the, the designs on her bags. Yeah, the designs and it on carries on. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, I'd invite my best friend Colleen because I'd want to have somebody I could talk to after the party like, can you believe they said this? <laughs> So that's my cocktail hour. I love it. And I, I think it. you all, you always have to have a personal element that kind of makes you smile and has somebody that you can share a good laugh and a good story with. So, that's so cool. Yeah, I love the I love the idea of bringing a witness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Wow, that is such so how's a cool. that for an answer? That is uh, <laughs> you delivered. You delivered completely. I love it. Getting into more of the advicey stuff, I was hoping mm -hmm. we could take just a beat to talk about any particular books that might have been influential to you uh, as you, because uh, you, you, you've written your own books. So first of all, I'd like to like to just 
plug those. Oh, uh, thank you, thank and, you. And uh, and then any books that were influential, because I'm sure as you were creating those books, you were also looking at what was out on the, the already written on the on the subjects. Well, my my two books, Capital Cocktails and Old Town Drinks, were kind of my inspiration to kind of promote our local bartenders that are in and of their own right quite a talented group of folks and took a lot of my vintage glassware and barware pieces to their bars and had them create drinks using local ingredients and those were that's kind of the impetus behind those two books but for me you know I am my I'm a glassware person so you know I have all sorts of Stephen Visquet who wrote a book on cocktail shakers and barware he's kind of my go-to bible in terms of collecting but when it comes to cocktails, you know, I'm, I'm just a home, home bartender. I'm like everybody else. I've kind of learned along the way. Right. And I, when I opened the store 10 years ago, I started carrying a book called The Bar Book. It's a chronicle books. Is it Je- it's a, Jeffrey Morgan Taylor? Uh, it's not Jeffrey's. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a, I'm not even sure. I can't remember who, who authored it. Um, but it's, it's, yeah. it's truly called The Bar Book. Right. And it's simple three and four ingredient drinks that are easy to follow and they're broken down by spirit and they show the appropriate glassware to put with it. It's really kind of an all, it's like, to me, it's like the Bible that, you know, for home bartenders, it's so easy to use. It's descriptive, it's historical to a certain extent. It doesn't delve into, unless you're a real cocktailian and really love that thing. It's really a great book for home bars. And then for the kicks of it, I love reading the old Esquire cocktail books. They're so cheeky and so funny and just just the, the cartoons and things that are in in the old 1950s Esquire books are just a, they're they're a hoot. I think I saw so. one. I think I saw one recently, and this is you know it definitely shows it definitely is of a time, but it was it was uh, the instructions that that I saw where it was like if for some reason it the lady does not like it, make sure to discreetly pitch it in the nearest shrub because it is too sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Right, they were just they're they're so fun to read and so so time period, um, yeah. and they're always a good good laugh and a good read. Cool. Well, we'll make sure we link to those pieces in the show notes page so that folks can check them out. For our kind of final piece of advice, obviously, you have a lot of experience gathering beautiful eclectic pieces. I know earlier in the interview we mentioned estate sales, flea markets, and antique shops. I think those are pretty much universally the best places to go to find vintage glassware. Uh, But do you have any other advice besides go to those places and look for glasses? What other advice do you have about building a collection or trying to evaluate the quality of a piece you come across? Well, look for marks. You know, things, a lot of the designer pieces will often be stamped or signed. One of the things that I did when we developed our website, thehourshop.com, was I've started a designer section that kind of gave small brief synopsis of some of these companies and some of these designers. And and I say, you know, you can't believe everything that's written on Google, but, you know, Google things if you're, you know, if you're interested in learning more about them, because there is some information out there, quality, quality, quality. You know, make sure you don't buy things with chips. Make sure that you don't buy things that have been through a dishwasher. They're only going to get worse. Take care of your vintage. You know, hand wash as much as you can. And buy what you love. You know, as I said before, there's only so much that was made. And while it seems like there's a lot out there, there's less and less. And a lot of it will never be seen again. So buy buy what pleases you. 
and look, look everywhere. I'm going to San Diego later this week. I've already, I've already lined up, you know, the markets I'm going to hit, the malls I'm hitting. I, I just, I, this is what I do. Yeah. And um, the hunt is, is the fun part. And it, and it doesn't matter if it's here stateside or overseas, you know, London has some great street markets. Paris, obviously, the great markets there. South of France in the summertime has these wonderful hilltop flea market kind of events. Read about things and go explore. I mean, that's that's the fun part. And then bring it home and talk about it during the cocktail hour. Absolutely. You always got to have something to talk about, right? Yep. Victoria, this has been so much fun. Can you just give us the breakdown of where to find you the hour, both physically and digitally? Yes. The hour is located in Old Town, Alexandria, 1015 King Street. We're in the heart of Old Town. We're online at thehourshop.com. My new line is called themodernhomebar.com, so that... Deserves its own website. Does, and it does have one. And then we've got, you know, our Instagram handles, The Hour Shop, and all of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or The Hour Shop, or The Modern Home Bar. Great. So, Victoria, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for inviting us into uh, this space. It was and, fun, Eric. Yeah, this was great. And um, hopefully we can do a round two at some point. But for now, thanks so much for having come on the podcast. You're so welcome. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was produced, filmed, and edited by Madeline Haynes. It was also made possible with stunning glassware and historical insights courtesy of Victoria Ferguson and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2019.